Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Today we're going to talk about good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. And we're talking about we're talking about the financial poor today. <laughs> uh, that's just, you know, poverty really uh, is not a money problem. It's really a spiritual problem. And until you deal with that side of it, you can pile all the money in the world on somebody and it is probably not going to bring them out. And, and we have lots of proof of that in the world. Billions and billions of pounds and dollars put into poverty programs and hardly any, any good ever comes out of it, you know, because they're not dealing with the root problem, which is the spiritual side of it. It's like just putting a, a Band-Aid on a shotgun wound or something, you know, it's, it's just not getting to the, the root of the problem. So Luke 4, 18. Jesus stood up in the synagogue uh, in his hometown and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now Jesus stands up and he announces what he has been sent to do, what he's anointed to do. And he begins with preaching Prosperity, the good news to the poor. He put that at the top of his list. So Jesus was a prosperity preacher. Now, what is the good news to the poor? People, you know, they read all this little discourse here, and they assume that he's talking about the poor can be born again, and they can, uh, you know, escape divine uh, eternal judgment uh, and, and they won't go to hell and of course that's true. Of course that's true. That's true to all these people in that list. That's true to everybody regardless of what kind of category you're in but there are specific categories of people here Jesus is specifically referring to. So let's read the rest of this. Um, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. What's the good news to the brokenhearted? It's not born again, is it? In this specific context, he specifically said the good news to the brokenhearted is, is that you can be healed of a broken heart. What's the good news to the captive? Yeah, deliverance. He's talking about specific messages to specific people. What's the good news to the blind? Yeah, I have come and you don't have to be blind anymore. What's the good news to the bruised, the broken down, and the crushed? Liberty 
Yeah, you can be free. You don't have to be, you don't have to stay bruised and beat down and crushed. Amen? So in this context, what's the good news to the poor? Is It's not, huh? That's it. You don't have to be poor anymore. I have come. I have come. You don't have to be poor anymore. And there are people that are adamant that the gospel only pertains to Jesus saves and you need to be born again. Well, obviously that's true. Obviously that's true. If, if you are lost and you're on your way to hell, obviously the most important message you need to hear is that you can be born again and that Jesus saves and, and you can escape uh, eternal judgment. That's the first thing everybody needs to hear. That's the first thing everybody needs to hear. But if you have been saved for five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, sitting in church every Sunday, people can't pay their bills, and they, they're, they're running out of money before the end of the month, is the most important message they need to hear, born again. No. No, that's not the most important message they need to hear if they're already saved. Now, if you had to choose between being born again and being healed, or being born again and being blessed financially, if you had to choose and make a choice, obviously, being born again and, and going to heaven for eternity, that would be the obvious choice. That would be the best choice. But who has said we have to choose? Has God ever said we had to choose between being born again and being healed? Has he ever said you had to choose between being born again and going to heaven and being blessed on this earth? No, he's never required us to choose. It all belongs to us. Like Frank said, all, it all belongs to us. But yet there are entire denominations full of saved people sitting in church every Sunday and 52 Sundays out of the year, they hear salvation and born again messages every single Sunday. Once you are born again, there are a lot of things in the Bible that pertain to life here on earth that you need to know about. And I think one of the reasons that many Christians struggle here on earth in many ways is because they're more prepared for life in heaven than they are prepared for life here on earth. And, and you got to be taught how to be prepared for life here on earth because it's a hostile environment. It's a hostile environment. If someone has been saved for years and they're sick in their body, what do they need to hear right now? How to receive healing. Amen. Jesus has already done everything that they need, uh, that needs to be done for every sick person to be healed, for every uh, captive person in addiction to be set free. Um, he's already done it. Every broken heart. So, the good news to the poor, once a poor person is born again, 
The good news to that person is you don't have to be poor anymore because Jesus has come. And you don't have to be poor anymore. Even though we're in a cursed world and we're in a cursed environment. But there are those that believe that God has ordained that some are just going to be rich and some are just going to be poor. That's their lot in life. It's just their cross to bear. Uh, what's the good news in that? There's not any good news in that. You notice uh, the word gospel is not in the Old Testament. Gospel means good news. And there wasn't much good news back then, was it? There wasn't a whole lot of good news there, but we have good news because Jesus has now come. They just had the promise of all this. They just had the promise that one day Jesus would come and he would, he would restore everything back to, to uh, what Adam had in the Garden of Eden. And folks, we're that people. We have it. Hallelujah. How many of you have been told by other Christians, God is not interested in money or you having nice material things? Yeah. I have, yeah. Everybody in here, we've heard that at one time or another. Well, God was interested in the Bible. When did he stop being interested in it? When did he stop being interested in it? If he's not interested in money and material things, why are people out there working 70 hours a week trying to get some of it? If it's not God's will, why are they working so hard trying to get it? This is hypocrisy and it's confusion. Hallelujah. People will try to shame you for believing what the Bible says that Jesus bought and paid for you to have. Jesus paid a very high price for us to have an abundance, so don't be ashamed and don't apologize to anybody. If somebody compliments you on your new nice dress or your nice ring or watch, your nice car, whether they make a, re uh, a remark, uh, which is not necessarily a compliment, whether it's a compliment or not, you just say, God is good, he's blessed me with this, hallelujah. Just If they make some snubbing remark, just say, God's good, he blessed me with this. Don't apologize, don't be ashamed, amen? Hallelujah, don't be ashamed, don't apologize. Hallelujah, now let's turn to Isaiah 5.20. Isaiah 5.20 It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When the Bible says woe, what does that mean? <laughs> it means you don't want to be doing this, doesn't it? When it says woe about something, you don't want to be doing that. So when he says woe to them that call evil good and good evil, this verse describes what it, the world calls political correctness. Calling good evil and evil good. That's what's known in the world as political correctness. 
It's confusion about what is good and what is evil. We're not going to go back to Genesis, but in the first couple of chapters there, it's very evident that God created plenty and an abundance of every good thing for, for man in the garden. He had plenty. He had more than enough, and God said it was good. He, he, he said to Adam, right over there, that stuff is gold, and that's good. He said it's good. He didn't say it's evil. Today people say gold is evil, money's evil, but God said it's good. And if God said something is good, we shouldn't be saying that it's evil. We need to agree with God. Having money is not the problem. It's trusting in money instead of trusting in God that's the problem. And you can trust in money and be poor. You don't have to be rich to trust in money. You can be poor and trust in money. But when you can pay all your bills and you have money left over to help someone else who's struggling until they begin to learn some of these things, and you still have money left over to finance the gospel, there is nothing evil about that. That's the will of God for every person on this earth. In the Bible, God's people were the rich people. God's people were the rich people. Now, there are people who are prejudiced against rich people. You know, they, they turn their nose up at them and they snub them and they criticize them and they speak evil of them. They don't even know these people. They don't, they don't even know them. They don't know what they do behind the scenes to help other people. They don't know how philanthropic they are. They just hate them because they got money. And if, if there is one group of people on this earth that are not being evangelized, it's the rich. It's the rich. Nobody cares about the rich. I don't know if it's because people assume, well, a rich person can't go to heaven anyway. Why bother? Well, Jesus bothered. Jesus bothered with the rich. Some of his closest friends were rich. Uh, do you remember, I know most of you did not go to Sunday school, but I grew up going to Sunday school, and we learned about Bible stories, and we sang songs about Bible stories. Do you remember... Uh, a man named Zacchaeus. What do you remember about him? Most people don't remember that. Most people remember he was little. He got up in the tree. He got up in the tree uh, because he was little. And he, when Jesus passed by, he couldn't see over everybody else, so he got up in the tree. So that we sang songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. That's what we learned about Zacchaeus. But the Bible says he was rich. And Jesus called him down out of that tree and he says, I'm going to your house today and you're going to get saved. And he did. Jesus saw out the rich. He had time for them. 
And, and up to that point, Zacchaeus had a dodgy reputation, and he was a scoundrel. But that day, when he met Jesus, everything changed. Hallelujah. Ecclesiastes 5.19. We won't turn there, but you can write that one down. Ecclesiastes 5.19. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. The contemporary English version says, Suppose you are very rich, and able to enjoy everything you own. Then go ahead and enjoy working hard. This is God's gift to you. The Good News Translation says, If God gives us wealth and property and lets us enjoy them, we should be grateful and enjoy what we have worked for. It is a gift from God. Well, if it's a gift from God, then it can't be evil, can it? It can only be good if it's a gift from God. The Living Bible says, And of course, it's very good. If a man has received wealth from the Lord and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. The person who does that will not need to look back with sorrow on his past, for God gives him joy. In the body of Christ, we are in the minority that believe this. There are those that mock us and call us the Health and Wealth Club. And they don't mean it as a compliment. But God says health and wealth are good, not evil. Amen? So don't, don't call evil good and good evil. Being rich doesn't necessarily mean you're good or bad. Being poor doesn't necessarily mean you're good or bad. There are bad rich people. There are good rich people. There are bad poor people. There are good poor people. So being poor doesn't make you more spiritual. It just means you're unable. You're just unable. It's a lack of ability to be able to do anything. They they're not only lack money, they lack ability. We're not against poor people, we're against poverty. We're not against sick people, but we are against sickness. Hallelujah. Now let's turn to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. Verse 3. We're going to see in the Bible, it's not good when you're poor, and it's not good when you lack money and things that pertain to life here on earth. Leviticus 26.3 If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field yield their fruit. So when you obey the word of God and somebody says to you, 
Maybe it's God's will for you to lose everything you have and never have enough in this life. Maybe that's just a blessing in disguise. No, that's contradicting what the scriptures say. In today's terms, it's saying if you'll stay with me and keep my word, you'll still have money left over from your last paycheck before you get your next paycheck. That's the way it's supposed to be. Everybody say surplus. Uh, In the the, uh, New Testament, the Greek word for prosperity literally means to help on the road or succeed in reaching. There's no way that can be evil. (laughs) That's good. It clearly implies that divine prosperity is not a momentary passing phenomenon but rather it is an ongoing, progressing state of success and well-being, the spiritual, the physical, emotional, and the material. There's nothing evil about that. In, in the Greek, the word lack means to diminish or to fall short. And whether it's abject poverty or just enough to get by, any degree of lack is a curse. And it's not good news. Now verse 10 says, uh, let me, I'm going to read verse 10 from the Good News Translation. It says, your harvest will be so plentiful that they will last for a year. And even then you will have to throw away what is left of the old harvest to make room for the new. In other words, you'll have to give away last year's new clothes because you got more new clothes coming in now. You'll have to back out last year's car. You'll have to give away last year's car because you got the new car coming in the garage and you don't have room for the other old, uh, the last year's car. That's what he's saying in, in our modern terms today. This is what God calls good and blessed. It's God's will for everybody. Christians who are trying to make their paycheck stretch until the next month and coming up short every week and every month, it's not a blessing. And anybody tells you that coming up short, not having enough, is really a blessing, they are telling you something. They are telling you that they have never experienced what it's like to be poor. They have just told you. That's what they've just told you. They have never experienced what it's like to be poor. Verse 20. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. This is is lack. This is describing lack. You're working hard. You're putting a lot of effort into something, and you're not getting anything out of it. It's not profiting you. This is a curse, and it's not good. Now, you know, uh, people will say, well, sometimes being sick and sometimes being broke for a while, you know, it's really a blessing in disguise because, boy, I really had some... You know, the Lord really gave me some revelations. Well, they could have had those revelations without being sick or, or broke. 
What can you learn being broke that you can't learn, learn rich? What can you learn by being sick that you can't learn being well? Nothing. Don't call evil good and good evil. Uh, I was speaking once here in Guilford. I think some of you were here. Uh, on the, the truth about tests and trials. And I spent an hour going through the scriptures showing people that, you know, God is not using calamity and, and sickness and adversity and tragedy to teach people things. And, and uh, at, at the end, this lady came up to me and she asked me to pray for her healing. And then she said, well, don't you think sometimes God uses sickness to, to teach us things? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't believe that. I just spent an hour turning from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture in the Bible where, where that is not true. And anyway, she let me pray for her. I don't know if she was still convinced or not, but she did let me pray for her. But, um, you know, don't call evil good and good evil. If you can't pay your bills, you can't put petrol in your car, you can't give your kids, kids what they need, it's not a blessing. It's a curse and it's evil. We, we got to, we got to uh, stand up against these things because folks, like I said, we're in the minority. Most people around us, they, be, they believe some other way. They believe that somehow this, this cursed world and coming up short it's just, you know, you've heard that expression, well, these things are sent to try us. Well, they're not sent by God. They're sent by somebody else. We live in a cursed world. The reason that there's pain, the reason that there's thorn bushes out there, the reason that there's, there's lack and, and curse is because our parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. That's, that's it right there. It has nothing to do with... God is not rejecting people. People are rejecting God. That's the problem. That's the problem. Now, let's see where I want to go to. Wealth brings ability and other options. When you have wealth, when you have a surplus, you have other options. It brings freedom and, any, and anything the Lord uh, puts on your heart to do, you have the ability and the freedom to do it. You don't have to consult anybody else because you have the resources. Everybody say financial freedom. Everybody in the whole world, everybody in the body of Christ is not going to believe this message, but God is going to have a remnant of people who will believe this. We're volunteering, and we're going to be available to do something for God in this world on a bigger stage in this life. Amen? Hallelujah. So don't be ashamed of His goodness. Don't apologize. Don't be ashamed of having some stuff that enables you to do some big things for God on a bigger scale. I remember I was invited to speak over to church in another, not Surrey, but in another county. I think Peter and Ann were there that night. They may not remember, but 
I had, I had been invited there by, um, it was a kind of group of churches in the area, and they would get together on a, on a Friday evening. And I had been invited by a lady there who, it was kind of her turn to invite somebody. <laughs> and anyway, she invited me, and I didn't really know her that well, but um, the pastor was not there, and that should have signaled, that should have been a red flag right there to begin with, that the pastor wasn't even in the meeting. But anyway, I got there early, and I was setting up, you know, my books and some things in the back, and um, one of the Pharisees was setting up the sound system and a projector and all that, and it was just me and him in the, in the auditorium. And he said, uh, and I don't know how, what prompted this, he said, are you associated with Kenneth Hagin? And it kind of took me back for a minute, you know, and I thought, well, what does he mean? Does he mean I'm part of Kenneth Hagin Ministries? Did Kenneth Hagin send me here? And in that respect, no, he didn't send me here, and that's basically... What I said to him, I said, I'm, I'm not officially part of his ministry, and he didn't send me to this country uh, uh, directly. But I don't think that's really what he was driving at. I think he was really driving at, are you, uh, are you in agreement with his teachings on faith and prosperity and all this? And uh, I was kind of hedging a little bit, you know. And later on, uh, then when he introduced me, uh, he, I don't remember all he said, but he said, Barb has a faith ministry. Well, he was given the code signal to everybody out there, you know, what I believed and what I taught. But I can guarantee you before that night was over, there wasn't any question I was a faith teacher and I was on the same page with Kenneth Hagin. Amen? There wasn't any more doubt in his mind about it. Uh, but after that, Later on, I, I started thinking about that again, and I started feeling convicted about, you know, I, I said, Lord, I should have been more bold. You know, forgive me. I repent for not being more bold. I should have just stood up to that man, and I should have said, yes, 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 yes. I am associated with uh, Kenneth Hagin in the respect that I believe everything this Bible says. Amen. And I said, Lord, I repent. And I will never do that again. I will never back down again. I'll never be ashamed of faith. I'll never be ashamed of the full gospel. I'll never be ashamed of prosperity again. Amen? Hallelujah. Where was your friend who didn't you? <laughs> well, now on another occasion, she did stand up for me. She, uh, well, she wasn't in the congregation. There was only me and him in that room when this happened. When this uh, when this little discourse between maybe, us. Maybe he knew her and he knew the sort of person she did. Maybe, yeah, maybe he knew that she, yeah, maybe he knew that it was her turn to invite somebody and I was a bit suspect. But on another occasion there, she, she did, she did step, stand up and she did uh, speak out on my behalf. Yeah, she did. But um, anyway, we're not ashamed of the gospel. Hallelujah. And we're not ashamed of being rich. No. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. It's on its way. Yes. Amen. Now, let's talk about a few. Um, this certainly doesn't 
cover all, all of the reasons, but let's talk about a few reasons for lack. Some of the reasons people experience lack. It's not ordained by God that some are blessed and some are not, and some people are just rich and some people are just poor. It's not that way. Um, they're going to get a shock one of these days when they hear that Bob which meetings are 50,000 strong. Amen. I'm in agreement with that, Anne. Receive it. Hallelujah. Yes, we all receive. And we're, folks, we're all going to be blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. Because I'm telling you, the Lord's keeping account. Amen. And he knows every person that was here when there were only 10 people here. Amen. Hallelujah. And he sees every seed sown. Praise God. Hallelujah. One of the reasons, this is a major reason for uh, lack in the body of Christ is a poverty mentality. A poverty mentality. Uh, Satan himself has established poverty and lack in the church as some holy, pious, you know, badge of virtue or something. And not only has the church suffered as a result, the whole world has suffered as a result. We won't turn to all these for time, but you can write down Ecclesiastes 9.16. It says, The poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. As long as the church has a poverty mindset, the world is not going to listen to anything we have to say. And I, you've probably heard Jerry Savelle, you know, kind of teach along these lines. He says, God blessing us abundantly and openly is going to be a, a major tool and a witnessing device here in the end times, especially as things in the world get worse and worse and worse, and they start looking at the Christian next door, and they're getting blessed and blessed and blessed. They're going to come knocking on your door wanting to know how you're doing it, and that's the invitation for you to tell them a, a, about the Lord. Amen? I'd forgotten that. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Amplified says, So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal, as it were, through us. God wants to use the church to make his appeal to the world. And for centuries, he hadn't, he hadn't had much to work with. But that's changing. Amen? Abundance has always been a sign of the blessing of God. The Bible teaches there's a way to prosper that is not evil. And when we learn and obey these godly principles, we'll prosper in every way, not just financially. There's no evidence in the Bible where God ever intended for his people to have just enough and barely get by. You, you know, we, we, we read there in Leviticus just a few verses. You go over to Deuteronomy 28. He talks about blessed in the field, blessed in the city, blessed coming out, blessed going in, blessed in your savings account, blessed in your bank account. 
and, uh, and all of it, all that you put your hand to, that's the will of God. Yes. Hallelujah. Um, Deuteronomy 28.11 in the Amplified says, And the Lord shall make you have a surplus of prosperity through the fruit of your body, of your livestock, of your ground. In other words, your business, uh, everything. In the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. This is spe speaking specifically about material things and things that pertain to life here on earth. <laughs> Hallelujah. So prosperity means to make progress. That is not evil. It's not evil. And, and, and people are confused. People are confused when, when they're against this. They're confused. Philippians 2.13. We won't turn to all these for time, but Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So prosperity is God working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Psalm 35.27. Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure and the prosperity of his servant. Doesn't it give you pleasure to see your kids blessed and doing well and if you're able to do things for them and give them something? Of course it gives you pleasure. Why would it be any different for God? <clears throat> the Bible says Abraham was extremely wealthy. It goes on to talk about Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, David, Solomon. Hallelujah. Jesus said, we just saw in that song, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. Well, salvation is a package. It's a package deal. Salvation is not just born again, getting your fire insurance, going to heaven, and escaping hell. That's just part of it. That's the icing on the cake. But, but salvation is... It's uh, deliverance, it's protection, it's provision, it's healing, it's uh, freedom from depression, it's, it's all these things. Uh, it's like a package holiday. If you go buy a package holiday, you're not just buying an airline, an airline ticket somewhere. You're not just, it, it includes your ticket, it includes your hotel, it includes your transportation. In some cases, it includes your meals. So you're, you're, you, it's, it's a package thing. It's everything. It's all of it. When you buy a package holiday and you, you get to your hotel, you don't have to pay the hotel bill when you leave. It's included in the package. And healing's included in the package. Blessing and abundance, material blessing, uh, Protection, it's all included in the salvation package. Good news to a poor person is that you don't have to be poor anymore. And Satan doesn't want us going into the world preaching this message. Hallelujah. People in the world, most of them, what, what's their image of God? Yeah, some old man with a big stick that's mad at them and doesn't want them to have anything. And the two times in their whole life they ever went to church, 
All they ever heard was God doesn't want you to have anything. So why should they go back? I mean, they're already got problems, you know what I mean? If they can't go to church and get help and, and hear some good news, they're not coming back. Hallelujah. Isaiah 52, 5. You can write that one down. In the Amplified, it says, But now, what have I here, says the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them howl with joy, says the Lord, and my name continually is blasphemed all day long. So when the world sees God's people defeated and broke and, and, and powerless, it speaks ill of God. It's not a good witness. They have no fear or reverence for the Lord. Proverbs 11, when it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money as long as you get it God's way. You get it by godly principles and you, you want it for the right reasons. It's not evil, it's good. So all this negative attitude in the church about prosperity is demonic and it's wrong. And it's, it's the enemy sowing confusion into people's minds. It's hampered the church for centuries from fulfilling what God has called us to do. Hallelujah. Amen. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and this lawyer stood up and he said, who's my neighbor? God gave them the example, uh, Jesus gave them the example of the Good Samaritan. What, did, did the Good Samaritan come by that man and say, well, you know, I'm on my way to the prayer meeting and we'll pray that somebody will come help you. No, no, he paid for all the man's medical expenses in advance. He paid for his accommodation in advance. And he told the landlord, I'll be back here in a few days and if this doesn't cover it, Anything over and above you have to spend to take care of this man, I'll settle up with you when I come back. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's a position God wants us to be in. Amen? Hallelujah. And we don't have to start big. Some people think, well, if, if they don't have a lot, they can't make a start. Yes, you can make a start with what you have. Amen? Hallelujah. Uh, Genesis 13, 14. I'm going to read that one. Genesis 13, 14. This is God speaking to Abraham. Talking about having a vision. Having a vision and, and not getting out of this poverty mentality. Uh, and the Lord said to Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art. Get up and start looking at where you want to be. Don't be looking at where you are now. Start getting a vision. Let the Word of God begin to paint a vision on the inside of you uh, of being blessed, 
of being in a position to, to help other people, for being in a position for God to be able to use you and to be a blessing to other people. And all of your bills are totally paid for. You got surplus. You, you don't even have to think about your own needs. You just got the resources. If, if the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, you know, give them 100 pounds or whatever, you can do it. Amen? Put, fill up, see that man over there? Go fill up his car with petrol. Or, you know, mm -hmm. praise God. I, I haven't done it in a, a while, but there's been several times I'd be in Sainsbury or somewhere, and I'd see some little lady or little man, and I, these older people doing their shopping, sometimes it just kind of gets to me, you know, but they, they got their little trolley, and they put their items up on the counter, and, and I just went over, and I just paid their, their bill. You know, I just said, I'm going to pay for this lady's groceries today. And they look up at me like, I mean, they, they just don't know what to say. You know, they just don't. And I said, the Lord wants to bless you. But, but you can't do that. And I said, yes, ma'am, I can do that, you know. And folks, I'm telling you, you will sleep good that night. You will sleep good that night. I, I haven't done that in a while. I need to, I'm backsliding a bit there. I need to get back get back onto that, but it is such, such a blessing. I haven't done that in a while. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you know the, you know the Israelites? Uh, it wasn't the giants that kept them out. It was up here that kept them out of the promised land, wasn't it? It was their mentality. They, they saw, uh, they, they saw the giants and it affected what they believed. So it wasn't the giants. They, they believed the evil report and the, the, their, their poverty mentality kept them out of the promised land. But not us. Amen? We're, we're developing a new mentality. Another reason for lack is a poverty mouth. A poverty mouth. Uh, Proverbs 10, 15 says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Think about all the things you can say that can curse your life financially. Do any of these sound familiar? I'll probably never be able to drive a new car. I would never be able to shop at that store. Don't ever say this to your kids or grandkids. What do you think I'm made out of, money? Don't ever say that. Well, you know money doesn't grow on trees. All these are things that can curse, curse your finances. I'll probably never have a better job, and if enough I did, I'd probably be made redundant, so I'll just stay where I am. Money does grow on trees. Mm. And I'll tell you something else. The Bible says money answers all things. Now, I can't tell you right, where off, right offhand where that is. It's either Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Money answers all things. Now, how many sermons have you ever heard in a church on that verse? Money answers all things. 
In other words, it gives you ability. That's what it's talking about. It gives you ability. It gives you options. You have options. Hallelujah. Don't ever say, I could never afford that. Uh, just say, it wouldn't be wise for me to buy that right now, but the day will come when I can buy that and I'm going to pay cash for it. You don't have to say any, anything else. So the more you confess negative statements, the more negative your circumstances become. And the more negative your circumstances become, the more you talk about it, the more you talk about it, the more negative they become. And it's just a vicious cycle. It's like a snowball rolling down the hill. And many Christians get caught up in the world's negative stream headed for destruction. Another reason for, um, well, I'll just share. You've heard of Leroy Thompson, haven't you? You heard of Leroy Thompson? He's a good prosperity preacher. He, he, used, he hadn't been on Brother Copeland's broadcast for a while, but he was on there for a while. And he's, he's written a few books on prosperity. And um, I guess this was before he really came into uh, abundance. But he was, you know, he was a believer, and he was in the, um, this is how it all got started for him. He was in the grocery store one day, and he went up to the checkout with his items to check out. And the man in front of him was checking out with his items, and for some reason, the man in front of him turned around to him, and I guess the lady said that'll be whatever, you know, $10 or whatever. And he turned around to Leroy and he said, money sure goes, doesn't it? And, and you know, when people say something like that, it just kind of catches you off guard. And Leroy just agreed with him. He said, yeah, it does. And, he, and then the man went on and then Leroy paid for his items and left the store. And he was walking to his car. And the Lord said, so money goes, does it? He says, that is not what you need to be saying. You need to be saying, money comes. Money comes to me. Money comes to me. That's what we're supposed to be saying. And he wrote, wrote a book. Money comes to me now. And, and he tells about his testimony. The Lord rebuked him for saying, money goes. He says, you say, money comes. Amen. Hallelujah. Money comes to me. Hallelujah. Another reason for lack. Excesses and poor management. Now, I've got some statistics here, and they're not right up today, but you'll get the idea, and it's probably even worse now than it was when I uh, last checked these figures, but... 70% of people live from paycheck to paycheck. And uh, th this gives you kind of historical uh, information. In 1980, there were 500 cases of bankruptcy. Now, I think these are probably American figures, but it still gives you an idea. In 2005, there were 2 million bankruptcies. And these were not homeless people or entrepreneurs who lost their money in a business deal. 
These are middle class people with credit card debt. <clears throat> there were 98% at this time, there were 98% of all insolvencies were caused by personal financial liabilities, credit cards, mobile phones, personal loans, and other credit. In Australia, two-thirds of people filing for bankruptcy had debts of less than $20,000. So trying to get out of debt quickly, uh, there's a serious downside. It stays on your credit profile for seven years. You're unable to obtain a loan or credit card or rent property. It's a permanent record on file. These are probably not laws in this country, but it takes approximately five years of spending more than you have before it catches up with you. And then people get another credit card to pay off this credit card, and they max that one out, and they take another credit card to try to pay that one off, and they just get into a, a huge mess. Statistics reveal that money trouble is the leading cause of divorce. I didn't bring my, I had a, uh, I, when I see these articles, I save them up, but I have a newspaper article that came out of, I, I don't know, it was a Daily Mail here a while back, but it said, till debt do us part. Till debt do us part. And it said, uh, it was talking about money problems are one of the leading causes of divorce, even among Christians. I heard a pastor once in London say, because, you know, he, they had to counsel people in their church and all kinds of situations. And he said, when there's not enough money, love flies out the window. That was his experience. When, when there's not enough money, love flies out the window and... You know, the woman comes home and she's mad because she's had 15 phone calls that day from people wanting to know where their money is. And she comes, and when the man comes in, she hits him at the door. What are you going to do about this? And it just, it, it's terrible. It's a curse. Most, um, well, citizens of the Western democracies tend to have the lowest savings percentage rate in the entire world. Yet it is commonplace for people to spend more than they earn. Most Americans have an average of seven credit cards. Every three months, uh, well this gives you some idea, 15 billion credit advertisements are placed on the American public. I mean, you just go on the internet and all this stuff pops up, you know, uh, Halifax, personal loans and all this stuff just flashing up in front of you all the time. Uh, the top four credit card companies in America spent $567 billion in one year on advertising. Citibank spent $10 million in one year targeting high school and college students. I think I got these uh, figures from Joyce Meyer, I think. It's where I got these. Uh, out of 100 people at this writing, four out of seven were at least three months behind on their house payment, and foreclosures had increased 200%. In the UK, Consumer Credit Council, 
the number of people owing 100,000 pounds or more doubled in one year. Because governments have adopted a borrowing lifestyle, rather than learning to be more income generating, nearly one third of our lives is spent working to pay taxes to the government. People spend another 60% of their working lives paying off money they have borrowed. You may have heard Brother Copeland talk about um, you know, their, their ministry property and uh, their buildings and their paying for television. Everything they do is a ministry and everything they need to do it with. He had their accounting people figure up uh, what if they had borrowed the money for everything they're doing? Their buildings, their equipment, going on television. What if they had borrowed the money to do all that instead of believing God and paying cash for it? And at times, even having to stop buildings. They just, for months at a time, they would just have to stop buildings because the money ran out. And they just have to wait till they got some more to build some more. And they figured out if, if he had borrowed money, they would have paid $40 million in interest to the banks. $40 million in interest to the banks. Now you can do a lot. You could evangelize the whole world just about on $40 million. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you can begin to see why many Christians feel it is impossible for them to tithe, let alone bring an offering, or make a commitment to missions or give to other people. There's nothing wrong with credit cards as long as you use them for convenience and you can pay off what you put on them. These are examples of what happens when you add things to yourself that you can't pay for. And we've already talked about Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Uh, God wants to give us every good thing, but he wants us to grow up spiritually. And God can't put more money in the hands of people who are spiritually immature. They don't keep his word. They don't keep their commitments. They're way over their heads, spending more than they have. There's no reason for God to give those people more money. Hallelujah. Another reason for lack is jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. Uh, Titus 3, verse 3. I'm going to read that from the Amplified. For we also were once faultless and senseless, obstinate and disobedient, deluded and misled, we too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures, wasting our days in malice and jealousy and envy. Wasting our days in malice and jealousy and envy, hateful and hating one another. Ephesians 5 verse 5 says, For to be sure of this, that no person practicing sexual vice or impurity in thought or in life, or one who is covetous, who has lustful desire for the property of others, and is greedy for gain, for he, in effect, is an idolater, has any inheritance 
and the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's pretty strong to put covetousness in the same category as sexual immorality. So this doesn't necessarily mean they won't go to heaven. It just means they'll miss out on their inheritance here. It'll just cost them in, in some way here. Another reason for lack, not giving all God tells you to give. Malachi 3 says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Now, we, we won't get into that deeply now. We'll get into that more deeply some other time. That's a whole, you could do a whole session just on that. But uh, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. You know, when I was growing up, I just, you know, I always heard sermons about why um, God accepted Abel's sacrifice and he didn't accept Cain's. And they always said it was because Abel brought a lamb and Cain didn't. Well, that's not true because you go back here in Leviticus where we were and Deuteronomy all in there, over and over and over, God talks about bringing the tithe uh, and the first fruits of their grain and all their produce, their grapes. And so it wasn't just animals that could be offerings and tithes and offerings. It was whatever they, their, whatever their livelihood was. So certainly there was grain harvest and grain offerings and things. So it wasn't because he didn't bring a lamb. It's because the Bible says Abel brought the first, uh, the first and the fat. Uh, in other words, he brought the tithe. He brought his best lamb and uh, an offering. He brought, he brought the best. And Cain didn't. He kept back the best of his produce for himself and he brought God the leftovers. And God said, I'm not accepting that. You go give that to your governor and mayor and see what he thinks about it. And uh, if you read all of Malachi chapter 2, that's what God is getting on their case about is that they brought these one-eyed, sick, weakling sheep and goats and things and bringing them to him as a tithe, and they were keeping the good ones for themselves. And God says, you're robbing me, and you're cursed with a curse. Uh, he said, you take the one-eyed goat down to your mayor and see if he wants it. He said, I don't want it. Don't bring me that, you know? So... Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more. But I know everybody in here, we, we, know, we know better than that. Amen? What about Ananias and Sapphira? They gave part of what they had committed to give. They didn't have to give any of their land. They didn't have to sell that land and give anything. Uh, the, the, the part is, the thing is, they didn't give what they said what they said. They said they gave all of it and they didn't give all of it. They kept part of it for themselves. So God didn't, God wasn't cursing them. They just brought, they just reaped the consequences of not being truthful. Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. So they, they didn't have to give anything, but they should have given what they said they gave. And that was the, that was the bad part. Hallelujah. Uh, another reason for lack, strife and unforgiveness. St 
strife and unforgiveness. Um, Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 21. You can just write that one down. I'll read it to you. Matthew 5, 21. Strife and unforgiveness. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. When Christians allow strife among themselves, uh, they render their gifts to God unacceptable. So, so, in this respect, God doesn't necessarily receive every offering. He says, if you have strife against your brother, leave it till you go put things right. Then you bring me, then you bring me your offering. Um, I'm just going to read this little paragraph. Some of you may have heard of Dr. Evanzini. He was a good, he's retired now, but he was a good prosperity preacher. And he had this experience. He says, uh, someone gave me the newsletter of a certain ministry not long ago that brought to my attention just how serious discord is to God. In other words, discord, strife, you know, unforgiveness, and all this bickering between Christians. In that newsletter, the director wrote several pages of accusations against Oral Roberts, Kenneth Copeland, Fred Price, and me. He compared us to the false prophets of Mormonism and quoted each one of us out of context. After four pages of slander, the writer took two more pages to plead with his donors to double their offerings. His reason for needing the money was that his ministry was one month behind in finances. If everyone didn't double up on their giving, he would soon have to be laying off staff. And he goes on to say he wasn't writing this to, to criticize him, but he's just showing you the link between criticizing other Christians and, and it connects you with lack. You know, the, 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 you, you come down on these other ministries and then you're going you're gonna to suffer lack because of it. As a consequence, he was having to beg people to send him money. And he just got through, finished slating all these other ministers, you know. So, um, uh, you know, if you don't agree with somebody, don't join them, you know. But don't join them and, and criticize them. And, and come down on them, just leave. Leave them alone. If they're in error, then they're in error. But don't be bickering. 
Just, just don't, don't join them. Hallelujah. Where there is unity, God has commanded the blessing. If he can stir up strife, he can stop the blessing on everybody. Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. <clears throat> Another reason for lack. We're just we're winding down. Another reason for lack uh, is not saving money. Uh, I've got Deuteronomy 28.8. <clears throat> and the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee and thy storehouses. Well, a savings account is a storehouse. You could call that a storehouse or some kind of investments. And in all that thou settest thy hand to. And he uh, shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So, you know, if you, if you just make some regular commitment to saving. I don't care if you have to start with five pounds. Just make some regular commitment to saving. The Lord says he will bless your storehouse. But if you don't have a storehouse, then he can't bless your storehouse. Uh, another reason for lack is don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. The book of Proverbs... Uh, God has a lot to say about the biblical work ethic. He rebukes the sluggard and shows him the only harvest that laziness brings is poverty. Proverbs 10.4 The Living Bible says, Lazy men are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Proverbs 6 verse 6 in the New Living Translation Take a lesson from the ants. Learn their ways and be, be wise. The ant recognizes the harvest principles of gathering. And they also recognize that there's a time to gather. There's a time to gather. There's a time to store up. Proverbs 13.4 And ants can also work without supervision. They're industrious people. They're industrious. And God gives us a lesson on being industrious by visiting an anthill. Hallelujah. Um, Proverbs 13.4, New Living Translation. Lazy people want much but get little, while the diligent are prospering. Uh, Proverbs 24.30. Proverbs 24.30 says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. So, um, the Bible has a, has a lot to say, you know, about um, the, the work ethic and, and how um, it's connected, you know, with 
with being blessed. And, and, and here in Deuteronomy 28, 8, he says you've got to put your hand, he'll bless all you put your hand to. So if people don't put their hand to something, you know, it's, uh, it's not exactly a mystery, maybe why they're having financial problems. Um, and, and, and it's important to have a right relationship with money. We talked about God's not, uh, you know, God's not in a position where he's going to give more money to spiritually immature people, uh, you know, and they don't have their priorities right. And it can actually be a danger. Uh, money can actually be a danger if, if you're not spiritually mature. But that's not us. Amen? Yeah. Amen? We're receiving instruction. We're receiving understanding. Hallelujah. And we're not, we're not going to uh, go down this road of, of lack. Amen? We're going to tie up all these. We're getting our poverty, this poverty mentality uh, focused on, on being rich instead of being poor. Amen? Of being blessed and, and, and not being in a position of lack all the time. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're, we're getting instruction in the Word. Praise God. And we're going to walk in love. Amen? We're going to walk in love and not give the devil a foothold there. So let's stand up together. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so are you on the blessed side or the cursed side? Bless. Amen. Amen. Let's say this together. I'm on the redeemed side. I'm on the victory side. I'm on the heal side. I'm on God's side. I'm on the rich side. I'm rich in every good thing. I'm not the poor trying to get rich. I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm blessed with Abraham's blessing. I'm blessed with Abraham's blessing. Amen.